You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Our Bible reading today is from Titus chapter 3, verses 9 to 15. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me in Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Uh, And while we're sorting that out, let me just say um, welcome, of course, to our special guest, to all those uh, students wearing suits. So it's great to see you here tonight. I don't know what on earth that's you made of, um, but let me just say that my mum always said to me, uh, going to church, you know, what are you wearing? Uh, We're going into the very house of God. Come on, dress up, polish those shoes, wear a shirt. And I used to hate it. And I always thought to myself, when I grow up and I go into full-time gospel ministry, it's gonna be in a place where I don't have to wear a suit, a tie, and I turn up tonight and I'm feeling completely triggered. So I don't know what's going on, but please no more. Um, but uh, no, but seriously, for our, well, no, your special guests, you two guys, but to our other special guests, also welcome to you. It's lovely to have you here with us. Let me extend my warm welcome. Thanks for coming along. We really appreciate you coming to check out what we do and that you pray for us and even financially support us, some of you, so um, thank you. Uh, Now, let's get into our uh, talk. We're continuing, or in fact, we're wrapping up our series um, through the book of Titus, uh, Core Strength. Uh, I looked up because every week I've managed to somehow get this wrong. I think it's Core Strength, (laughs) Cultivating Uncommon Common Godliness. Yes, bingo? Woo! Yeah, Core Strength. Cultivating Uncommon, Common Godliness. That's what this series is about. Um, And it's emphasised throughout the book so far, uh, our need to do good. It keeps on saying, be ready to do good, be careful to devote yourself to doing good. Uh, The week before last, inside the church, love one another as you seek to love God. And last week, uh, not just within the church, but outside, in the world as well. Be careful to devote yourself to doing good in the world. That's what we're called to do. And tonight we're coming to this last little snippet here of Titus. And uh, I've titled it, What Would Titus Do? It probably should be, it'd be more appropriate, a bit sharper to say, what did, what did Titus do? Because yes, it's in the past, but also because this is particular to him as he seeks to maintain the centrality of the gospel. That's what we really see here. Titus being instructed by Paul 
as Titus is seeking to establish the church there in Crete to build it up and make it strong and establish in the gospel, Paul is writing to Titus, teaching him directly how to make sure that he helps them keep the main thing the main thing. I went to a Bible college and the principal there, one of his favourite sayings was, the main thing is that the main thing remains the main thing. The main thing is that the main thing remains the main thing. You'd say it all the time. And he said, we can't take it for granted. And this is the nature of Paul's instruction to Titus. There are certain things you've got to do, Titus, to make sure that they keep on track, that they maintain the main thing as the main thing. And specifically in this situation, for Titus at this time, he says a few things. He says, first of all, avoid. Avoid Titus. Secondly, he says, warn. Warn them, Titus. And finally, he says, Titus, come. These are three instructions that are going to help him make sure that the main thing remains the main thing. So the first thing is, Paul says to Titus uh, in Crete, as he's establishing, establishing the church, avoid. Look there in verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Titus is to avoid getting caught up, tangled, entangled in foolish controversies. But as soon as I see that exhortation and instruction, I have all these questions fall into my mind. Namely, the main one is, what is a foolish controversy? It's not as though in the New Testament we see modelled that they always duck the controversies. It's not like anything because it's a controversial topic is to be avoided. That's certainly not the case. The whole of 1 Corinthians sort of systematically goes through all these very controversial issues, pastoral issues in the church at Corinth to sort them out and to deal with them directly and give them clear principles and instructions to navigate them, right? No, we are to be willing to deal with controversial topics, but there are such things as foolish controversies. What makes something a foolish controversy? Well, uh, here, as we've already seen in Titus, the issue going on in the background is some, has something to do with uh, what they call Judaizers, people coming into the church and saying to them, you've become Christians, you follow Jesus, but you still need to maintain the law of Moses, even to the extent some of them would teach getting circumcised. So you're a Gentile, you've become a Christian, you're part of, of God's people, and you too need to get circumcised. That was one of the big issues that they were trying to tease out um, in the New Testament uh, church. And this in particular is the background of this instruction. There are some foolish controversies around that stuff, Titus. And make sure you don't get caught up in that and distracted from, from the main job. So what does he mean? You know, when I think of our foolish controversies, actually this is not quite fair, but a danger of foolish controversies is I always think of Summit, our media camp. <laughs> 
And uh, I want to say, I want to encourage you to get on board, register for that, by the way. It's a great camp. Come along to that. But I feel like it's a rite of passage, particularly for young blokes at some point during that camp, maybe the third night, you know, when your brain's a little bit addled and you're not quite as wise as you are on day one, you know, to stay up till two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning discussing something like predestination or baptism or what does it mean to be baptised in the Holy Spirit or should we speak in tongues or, you know... Should you date someone who also is a part of Power to Change here on campus? <laughs> that kind of thing. All these uh, controversial topics. Clearly the answer is no to that latter issue, just in case you're wondering. Uh, no, but you know, it's sort of like a rite of passage. And you know, I think it's fair enough to debate these things and discuss these things. It's, it's important, right? The Bible matters to us. We're people of the word. It's good to thrash these things out. But at what point does it become foolish? To be on about these things. (laughs) Really good answer. (laughs) Everything's foolish at three (laughs) o'clock. Well, a not so fun answer, but perhaps (laughs) a really important answer is comes to us partly in one Timothy chapter one. You don't have to turn there. Just listen if you like. You can turn there. One Timothy chapter one verse three, but. Um, it's, it's fine if you just listen along. It, it fleshes out in a bit more detail this particular issue about Judaizers. And I think it not only helps shed light on the, the Titus-Crete situation, it also gives us some principle about discerning where that line is. Look at what it says here. Paul writing to Timothy this time, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. He'll say something even more specific in a minute that we'll look at, but just here straight away, Uh, Again, it's still a wisdom thing. It's a bit of a vibe thing. But can you get the sense here that Paul is talking about? These people here who are causing up trouble, listen to what it says here. Uh, They devote devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love. There's a kind of way of approaching controversial issues which is just about scoring points, is just about the sport of the argument, is just about the the, the fun of the sparring. At that point, it's not about love anymore, is it? It's about puffing yourself up. It's about being seen as smart or insightful or intellectual or someone who knows something. You can see that it's not about love, it's not about sincerity. 
In fact, it's about promoting confusion and division because the more confused people are, the more of a guru you are, right? The more you can raise questions that no one's ever thought of, the more people go, wow, you really understand the secret knowledge. Oh, yes, I know. Whatever. No big deal. I know Greek as well. That's the vibe. So there's, there's something in just the vibe. You know, they, they want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about. Why? Well, I think it goes on to be even more explicit in the next few verses. Listen to what it says. We know that the law is good. Like these people want to be teachers of the law. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. Verse 9. But we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for, murder, uh, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. What's the law for? to puff yourself up, to be seen as a scholar. It's for sinners. Do you get that? This deep Bible knowledge, all this stuff you know about the Old Testament, it's designed for sinners. Primarily to lead you to Christ. To show you that you're not righteous that you've got a problem. And so here's the, here's the sharp point. Whatever is not building people up in Christ, whatever's doing the opposite, that's a foolish controversy. There are controversies which are necessary to deal with, to talk about, because they help people follow Christ. They build people's faith. They build people's confidence. And look, again, to, to a certain extent, it's just a wisdom it's a wisdom discernment. It's not necessarily black and white, but you kind of know it when you see it, right? Avoid the foolish controversies that tear down rather than build up, that confuse rather than clarify, which spur people on rather than make them think you're a guru because you know so much. Titus, keep your nose out of such things. Make sure the main thing remains the main thing. Verse 10. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Second thing Titus is urged to do Warn. And here I want to be careful about the context because here it's talking about excommunication. Warn them once, warn them twice, and then if they don't turn and repent, then have nothing to do with them. This is an instruction to a church leader, an elder who appoints other elders. And there are all sorts of caveats and qualifications around this in the New Testament. It has to be according to the Word of God, it has to be transparent. It has to be with not just one person saying you're out of line, it has to be multiple witnesses, all that kind of stuff. But Let's just hear the word here. Titus, in order to keep the gospel focus and the gospel the priority, at times as a church leader, 
you will need to act. You will need to deal with the controversial topics, not by entering the fray, but by rebuking them, calling it out. This is not edifying. And it's heavy, but it's necessary, right? And uh, watch here, look here carefully, verse 11. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. Notice, they are self-condemned. It's actually, it's not Titus here. This, this, is, this is not him being judgmental if he does this, if he calls out the divisive person. He's warning them. He doesn't really know where that person's heart is. There are all sorts of reasons why we might be a divisive person. Some people just want to stir up trouble. Some people are really hurt. And they're reacting out of their hurt and they're making something that shouldn't be the centre, the centre. And, uh, you know, unless they have their issue dealt with in the way that they want it dealt with, they don't feel hurt or, you know, hurt or loved or supported, but they may inadvertently be being divisive. And, and he's saying, warn them. We've heard you, we've tried, we disagree, we love you, but we're, we, we've just, you've just got to let it go. Warn them. Warn them once. Warn them twice. This issue that you're banging on about relentlessly, it's not the thing we want to be on about as a church. It's actually causing division and hurt and confusion. Warn them second time. And if they still don't respond, they are self-condemned. They are self-condemned. It is heavy, but it's also gracious. Now, for us, I don't think this really has a lot of traction. It's unlikely that many of you will ever be in this situation where you have to make this kind of heavy call. But I would say to you that, um, you know, respect and support and pray for your leaders that they are wise in doing this kind of thing. Occasionally, from time to time, they will need to do this kind of thing. But for you, what does it mean for you? I think what it means for you is let's not be naive as Christians that we do have to fight somewhat to maintain the centrality of the gospel. We shouldn't take it for granted. I won't go there, but in Acts, I think it's Acts 20, Paul's talking to the elders in Ephesus and he's, he's, he's urging them, he's saying, look, you've got to be really um, vigilant, you've got to work hard as shepherds and overseers of God's people and know that there will definitely be people who come inside the fellowship, false teachers from within, who will cause trouble and division and will take your focus off the gospel. Be ready for that. As Christians, uh, and I think that the rest of Titus teaches us this, as Christians we want to, by and large, be positive in our posture towards the world. Not defensive, not to have a defensive vibe or nature or posture or stance. No, positive because we've got the gospel. We have the victory. We have the resurrection and we want to take the gospel to the ends of the world and do good to one another and do good to the world. But don't be naive. We also need a rear guard at times, right? We're going to have to fight at times for the gospel. And there are all sorts of weird and wonderful things that take our eyes off the ball. When our, uh, our, our first child was first born, I'm not totally sure about this illustration, just heads up. I feel we need a brain break, so here we go. 
<laughs> our first child, um, but it sort of works for me, so hopefully it'll work for you, um, was a t it just wouldn't sleep. Like, unbelievable. Like, uh, we thought it was normal, but our subsequent children have shown that it was anything but normal. Uh, and the only way that our child would sleep, I don't know how many months it was, I think it was at least five, maybe as many as seven months. The only way we could get this sucker to sleep was if I held him up like this on my chest. Only upright. It's the only way he'd sleep. As soon as we put him down, he'd start crying. And, and we couldn't even tie him up to something upright and just leave him. <laughs> he would know that we're not holding him and he would cry and... The only thing that would work apart from holding him would be to drive him around and me and my wife would just run ragged. They're so tired and worn out and exhausted. And we later found out that he had um, you know, reasonably significant allergies and was dealing with reflux and so he was just uncomfortable all the time, had rashes, we didn't really know. Um, you know so we're shoving peanuts down his throat and you know, come on, no, no, but um, why won't you sleep? Um, uh, but it was driving us nuts. And then one day we stumbled upon what we thought was a silver bullet. We stumbled upon this, this American guru, <laughs> Baby Whisperer, who, um, who was teaching us all about the, uh, the fourth trimester. You know, parents, you've got you to understand the fourth trimester. You've got to implement the fourth trimester. Now, of course, anyone who's not completely sleep deprived would know straight away there's something that doesn't quite work about that. <laughs> Fourth trimester? What are you talking about? It's contradiction in terms. But he's saying, look, uh, you know, um, in the third trimester, you know, in, in the tr third trimester? Yeah, in the third trimester, you know, it, the, the baby, it's all snug, it's about to come out, but there's this sort of, we know it's like a white noise, we've recorded the sound. Like for them in their little cocoon, they've got this sort of white noise constantly going on. It's all warm, they're all sort of wrapped up tight. And then they pop out into the cold. No white noise, nothing holding them. Of course they can't sleep. If you want your baby to sleep, you've got to imitate the womb. It's like a fourth trimester. So we went and bought a big um, rubber balloon. And, no, we didn't. No, he said, this is how you do it. This is, this is the silver bullet. This is how you do it. He goes, what you do is you've got to like lean on top of your child and like, you know, cuddle them up and squash them in and hug over them and... Are you recording this? Don't record this. <laughs> and, and then what you've got to do is imitate the white noise. <laughs> the crazy thing is it flipping worked, right? So I would, I would sit there and I would, our little baby, our little baby wriggling and crying. And like we're taking about 15 minutes, but eventually just go and sleep on his tummy. And it's the first time we had getting to sleep on his tummy the whole time. So we thought it was a miracle. One day we had a friend over for lunch and they had kids as well and they put the pram in our bedroom and I went to put um, our eldest to sleep and I was doing this fourth trimester thing and I'm there huddled over, keeping in him, he's wriggling and screaming, I'm going <laughs> in his ear and my friend came in the door and this is the moment for me when I realised I'd lost my mind. Like my friend came in and he just looked at me and he was, he just, his eye, he didn't say anything, he just looked at me, his eyes were like sauce, but he was <laughs> And he just sort of, you know, backed out, closed the door. Um, 
And, I, and that really kind of made me think, what, what? He's obviously freaked out. I'm freaked out because he's freaked out, and I think I've lost the plot. And then, so this is, this is the point, okay? So there is a point to this. The point is, but remember, brain break, brain break mainly. Um, the point is, we went to sleep school because even that, after a time, was getting harder and harder and harder. And we went to sleep school, and they said, look, you've just got to get back to basics. You've, you've, you've forgotten the basics of putting a baby to sleep. And they systematically went through the steps that we practiced to start with when we had our baby. But we'd long left behind because he had so much trouble and had actually completely forgotten about. And they went through the, back, uh, the, the, the basics and sure enough, with a bit of persistence, it worked. It worked. And we were so relieved. Got rid of all these weird and wonderful contraptions we bought from Baby Bunting, about $10,000 worth of weird mechanical things, and got rid of the baby whisperer, and just went back to basics. And the point is this, yeah, dodgy, I know, but here we're landing. The point is this, is that we mustn't be naive and assume that we're gospel-centred, that we're maintaining the priority, that we're making sure that the main thing remains the main thing. We have to be vigilant. We have to, be, we have to fight for it. We even have to be aware that there will be divisive people. Be ready to stand for the gospel. Even for some of you, as you grow up into church leadership, be ready to warn once, warn twice. Avoid, warn, finally, uh, verse 12, come. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And I think straight away you're all struck by the obvious point, aren't you? Help Zenus the lawyer. <laughs> the only lawyer mentioned in the New Testament. There is salvation for you <laughs> if you're studying law. I know it's a relief. It's a big relief for all of us. No, the point here is he says, uh, come. And the point I want to make here is, and it's, I think it's, um, it's just a helpful, I think it's a helpful reflection on Titus, is it's, it's, it, it, the Titus bangs on about simply doing good. Uncommon, common godliness. And it reflects the emphasis of the New Testament as a whole. The New Testament bangs on far more about basic garden variety holiness doing good than it does about evangelism. There are a few notable verses in the New Testament that directly command us, tell us, teach us to evangelise. 
But the weight of it lands on instructions about holiness, garden variety, godliness. And it's kind of obvious why, right? It's because most of us express our love for the Lord Jesus and love for others on a daily basis in simply being as Christ in the world. When I'm getting my kids ready for school, it's not an evangelistic opportunity. Well, it is in part. Sometimes I talk to them about Jesus, but mainly it's an opportunity for me to love them as a father like Christ loves me. At work, my main opportunity will just to be gracious and kind and show off the character of Christ and his transformation by the way I conduct myself with your group assignments. It's a great opportunity, isn't it, in a group assignment to be godly, to be holy, to be gracious. You do all this work and someone else takes the credit. There's lots of opportunity there, right? There's lots of opportunity in our daily interactions just to be holy. That's the main expression of Christ's lordship that we get to pass on to others. But the broader context of the New Testament, right, is the church on mission. And what's really interesting here about this this command to come is this constant flow through you get a glimpse of here, right? Titus, you come, receive Artemis and Tychicus and send on their way Apollos and Zenos, coming and going, people connecting in with and supporting the broader mission. The context of Acts is taking the gospel to the world on the ground in your particular patch. Your main opportunity will be to be holy. Of course, there are opportunities to tell people about Jesus. But the main expression of Christ as Lord in your life will just be holy conduct, godliness, loving your neighbour. But you're connected in with the broader mission and to be connected in with the broader mission, right? Of the gospel going to the ends of the earth, sending people, receiving people, supporting the broader mission, praying for it, being involved, being interested. That's what we see here, a healthy church dynamic. It's a bit like, you know, in Formula One, and forgive me, I know zero about Formula One except it's racing cars, right? That's right. Yeah, cool. So um, you, know, you, have these, you have this one driver, right? You have this whole team, this one driver. And you have a pit crew, right? People who just spend all their time working in the pit, helping change the tyres, servicing, repairing, I don't know, whatever else they're doing there, <laughs> whatever they do in the pit, the pit team. They don't drive the car. But are they, what's, what's it all about? Are they involved in the mission of the Formula One team? Of course they are. They're integral to it, but they don't race the car, but they're invested in it. And this is what we're seeing here, do you see? And I want you students particularly to get this because we bang on all the time about evangelism here, and I think rightly so, because this is a season in your life when the evangelistic opportunity is particularly ripe. Grab it with both hands. But understand, this is not indicative of how your life will be for most of the time. And it's not how the local church feels, and that's for a reason. Because we're working as a team, as a body. 
involved in this broad mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, but working hard at being godly in our everyday lives. Avoid, warn, come. And then finally, everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Following a common formula for writing letters in the first century, but that is the Christian edition, grace be with you all. And they know what it means. Here in verse 8, it says in contrast to being caught up in uh, controversies, it says in verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, that is the summary of the gospel, and I want you to stress these things, that is the hope and the promises of the gospel, so that those who have been trusted, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. You see, grace is where he needs to end because grace powers it all. Spurgeon has that really famous quote. I'm not even sure if it's his, but it's been attributed to him. But he says, I looked at the cross and the dove of peace flew into my heart. I looked at the dove and the dove flew away. And the point he's making is that the gospel fruit comes from focusing on the gospel. To be fruitful, productive, cultivating uncommon, common godliness, we have to meditate on, dwell on, pray over, keep repeating, reminding ourselves of the gospel of grace. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.